With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Follow me on Twitter at GolfUnfiltered and you can send me an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Folks, today we welcome Mr. Michael Verska. He is a industry veteran in the golf equipment space. He has been around for about 19 years, if I remember correctly, from our conversation that we just finished a few minutes ago. And as you'll hear, folks, in this conversation, Michael has been at many different companies and he has learned quite a bit about all the different products that you and I enjoy every time we go out and enjoy this game of golf. And so Michael and I talk a lot about his experience helping out the HackersParadise.com at the PGA Merchandise Show in Orlando most recently. We talk a lot about the highlights that he saw at the show, even some of the more uh, humorous products that he saw, and some of the more unique, I guess, is the better, uh, more politically correct term. But we also talk a little bit about how Golf equipment manufacturers see social media and bloggers like myself and equipment reviews that are on the internet and and how all of that works together. And so you're going to get a behind-the-scenes look, so to speak, about how some of that stuff happens, but also to get really some of the best information you can get from one of the best minds in the golf equipment industry in Mr. Verska. So before we get to today's conversation, I did just want to remind everyone to go out and visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash golf unfiltered. If you feel like supporting the show and definitely hope that you do, we would greatly appreciate any support that we could get. So without any further ado, here is Mr. Michael Verska. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back, folks. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Mr. Michael Verska, industry veteran in the golf equipment industry, is here on the show tonight to talk to us a little bit about his experience helping out the HackersParadise.com at the PGA Merchandise Show in Orlando earlier this month. Michael, thanks so much for taking some time this afternoon or evening, actually, at this point uh, to come and speak with us. You're uh, very welcome. Happy to do it. Always happy to talk golf, especially with... uh... Another buddy, another person who's passionate like uh, like you and I both are. So I'm uh, looking forward to this. Now, Michael, uh, you and I have talked back and forth a few times over social and, and texting. But now, are you still in the Chicagoland area? I am. I am uh, still in a far, far north suburb. I grew up in uh, actually grew up in Northwest Indiana many moons ago, but uh, still had all Chicago television stations and was you know very close. I was actually. Um, about as close to the city being in Indiana growing up as I am to the downtown uh, living in one of our suburbs now. So, um, in fact, I've been here pretty much my whole life except for 10 years when I was down in Dallas working for uh, Adams Golf. Other than that, it's been, uh, it's been around, in and around Chicago. You know, it's a crime that you and I haven't met yet. <laughs> I'm in a southwest suburb, <laughs> and we'll have to remedy that soon enough. But for uh, listeners who might not know who you are, uh, to let her, let them know a little bit about who Michael Verska is and your tie to not only the game of golf, but how you got involved in the golf equipment industry. 
sure. It's a little, it'll be a little bit of a rambling story, but uh, so I was an engineer. I got play, played some baseball at a decent level. I got to play a little bit in college. Um, had a second knee surgery, and at that point, I figured out I wasn't going to be the next Johnny Bench, despite my <laughs> desire to be so. Um, it was a decent golf. I say decent, meaning low single-digit player, not a collegiate player by any level. But um, I really just kind of had played, you know, my whole life growing up. I had an uncle who introduced me in the game. I was the first person in my family who ever played uh, really at all, but really fell in love with it. Um, and anyway, so I was, I was you know, graduate from Purdue, have an engineering degree, and working at U.S. Steel, and uh, got promoted into a job that, uh, I mean, I can say it now that I just hate it. Uh, it just wasn't <laughs> the right fit for me. Um, but, uh, so I kind of took a step back and said, what do I really want to do with my life? Married at the time and talked to my wife and said, Hey, you, uh, you know, you up for a little adventure. I don't know if this is going to work out. So, um, I actually applied to 63 golf and baseball companies. I decided I want to do something I was passionate about. And, uh, I got uh, three callbacks, one uh, from Wilson golf, one from Cleveland golf, one from Callaway golf. Hmm. I had interviews with all, all, uh, all went well. Um, but at the time, uh, my we found out kind of during this process, my wife was pregnant and we just decided we were going to stay close to Chicago. At that point, my parents were still in the area. Her parents were in the area. So uh, I went to work for Wilson Golf and uh, did that for about three years. Um, this is back when Wilson was really doing some great things. Um, but uh, also at the time when they started to make some bad decisions, I think, with some of the, with some of the fat shafts and mm. getting out of the, off, off the tour um, I decided, hey, I don't, I don't think this is the right thing long term for me, and went to a little company called Adams. I was so impressed uh, with a guy named Chip Brewer, and mm-hmm. a lot of people listening to this will now know he's CEO of uh, Callaway Golf, he was CEO at Adams at the time, and a guy named Tim Reed, who actually now runs Callaway's tour, all, all of their tours globally, and I was just so impressed with them. And this is this was when you know this was tight lights two right after tight lights two, so this is not uh, the Adams Golf that I think many people fell in love with, but. I was so impressed with them and the small team we were building, and it was really small at the time. But uh, I was very fortunate to work with them and uh, you know, took on bigger and bigger roles and, and spent 10 years there and just absolutely loved it and grew the brand. My first project there was the original Adams Idea Set. That was my baby. Really? Uh, and then every Adams, yeah, uh, names on the patent. And, you know, that was my first thing I did there. Um, came up with that concept and, and then rode uh, rode the idea wave all the way through A2, A2OS, you know, on and on, A7, Idea Tech OS, and, you know, on and on to, to the rest of it. I uh, got recruited back to Wilson. You know, they were really trying to do some new and different things. And obviously, I knew some landscape being there before. And uh, really, really, really hard to leave Adams. I, I love the people there. I still love Dallas as a city. Uh, my parents have actually retired down there now, so I get back there a fair amount to see them. Um, but it was really a chance for me to step up and, and really run all the organization, um, you know, from an R&D and innovation standpoint, get some golf ball background. So I did that for uh, five years. And uh, for the last ooh, probably nine, 10, 11 months now, I've been uh, doing some other things. But uh, still keep my nose in the game. Obviously, did a bunch with Hackers Paradise. Uh, Josh Babbitt's a, an amazing human being, great friend. And um, hopefully some people saw some videos and liked what they saw. Also doing some uh, other things I can't really talk about, but uh, stay and stay and uh, keep my nose in the golf industry. So it's been, uh, you know, 19 years or so, 19 and a half years or so of uh, getting to do something that's a lot of fun, um, and, and so it's been great. 
Yeah, you've you've obviously kept busy over these last few years and and last few months specifically. And as you mentioned, you helped out the Hackers Paradise and JB and and his crew over at the PGA Merchandise Show most recently, a little bit earlier in January. And you know, you put out a bunch of videos, and I think it came across very clearly that Michael, you know your stuff. I mean, you spent all this time and at these different brands that you mentioned in the R and D departments, and you really educated a lot of the viewers who watch those videos on some of the new products that were coming out. And uh, I don't know about you, Michael, but uh, you know, for someone like myself, who I, I see myself as someone who knows a lot about equipment, certainly not to the degree that you do, but I'm still an average golfer by all means. And, you know, thinking about going to the PGA show, even though I've been there once, seems to be pretty, oh, I don't know, pr- pretty overwhelming and with all the new stuff that's coming out. And so maybe for those who haven't had the opportunity to go to the show, what does this thing look like? I mean, I remember my time there, but in your own words, what did the show look like from someone who's for, who's been there many times? Well, so, yeah, this is my 19th show. I used the word overwhelming, and honestly, still um, still going 19 times. It, it was overwhelming for me. I, I will say, and I'm not proud of this, but I did not see everything. Hmm. Um, you know, unless unless you are willing to... Um, you know, really dedicate, you know, kind of two full days um, to it. It's, it's, it's a daunting task to see everything. I saw almost all of the club side um, didn't venture down much to the clothing, to the apparel side this time. So when I say didn't see anything, that, that's also including the apparel group, but, um, but it's overwhelming. So if you've seen pictures, it's, it's, uh, it's the basically the nicest mall you've ever seen. If the mall was made of only golf equipment and uh, the walls were all and the walls were temporary. Yeah. Um, and there are literally hundreds of thousands, uh, if not more in some cases, money invested into these, um, into these booths that are, you know, they're only up for four days, um, but due to amazing jobs, uh, you know, really impressed with what Cavalry did this year um, in their booths, just both the, the size, the scope and the quality. Uh, TaylorMade's was much different, um, much more, uh, much more like a room, much more like a building, a little more closed off with, with Callaway being much more open, but both of them very good. Titleist always does an amazing job with, with Titleist Footjoy, uh, always does an amazing job. And it's, it's very black and white and uh, what you'd expect, very classy, what you'd expect from those groups. Then you get down to, you know, somebody like Garson Grips, who I'm a, who I'm a big, big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously their budget's a little small, and they literally have a little 8 by 8 cube, but it was busy every time I went by there. I meant to talk to Bernie. Unfortunately, I didn't want to interrupt his business. So every time I went by, he was working and selling. So um, it really spans the gamut from, from a cost, uh, meaning what the, what the OEMs and others are going to sell, uh, excuse me, what, what they're going to spend to make it. But um, if you can dream of it in golf, or if you've ever heard of it, it's probably there. Um, you know, I didn't see it this year, but a couple of years ago, I remember running across. All they were selling were tees, excuse me, pretzels shaped like tees and golf balls. <laughs> they had their own little booth there. So nice. it, it goes. It goes from you know, if you're looking, if you're a member of your your club and the board, you're looking for trophies for the club championship. There's those. There's you know, grip gloves and grips and OEMs and everywhere in between. So it really is overwhelming. But if you love golf uh, and have the opportunity to go, and it is open to the uh, to the general public on Friday, certainly afternoons and maybe all day Friday. I forget now. Mm-hmm. Um, but anybody anybody can go, and it's um, you know it is overwhelming, and uh, it's uh, something to behold. 
You know, yeah, you really have to have good footwear, nice, comfortable shoes when you're walking around this this uh, Orlando Convention Center. And I remember the one time I went when I was with the Back Nine Network, I was there to cover, you know, basically all equipment. That's the reason why you're there. And I just remember seeing some of the most unique and exciting products at the time that I had ever seen. I believe when I went, it was right around the time when the R1 from TaylorMade uh, was released. And so everyone was oogling over the white club head, you know, that had come out on the driver. But I remember also seeing the golf bike. Did 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 the golf bike make another uh, appearance uh, this year? In you know, I, did, I did not see the golf bike, but I did see a cart that looked like a fire truck. I saw a motorcycle <laughs> carts that looked like Harley Davidson's, but they were in their two wheels. Um, so again, there's, if you can dream it, and even if you can't, it's probably there. Um, you know, one of the, I think one of the interesting and both good and bad is, you know, a lot of stuff like a golf bike. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know about the golf bike. Maybe they're a thriving enterprise and I hope they are, <laughs> but a lot of times you see, you know, you only see a booth for one year and you don't see them again. Um, you know, there's a fair amount of turnover there. So, you know, obviously the Callaways, the Titleists, um, the Pings, the Cobras, Mizunos, they're, they're there year over year. They're always there. Um, but you'd certainly get the, the kind of one-offs, the, the golf tee and golf ball pretzel people, the golf bike, the, you know, the grip that's shaped like a dinosaur, whatever you can dream of that, you know, you see once and then you don't see them again. That's, you know, that's, it's sad, but that's also healthy, right? It's drawing entrepreneurs in. Sometimes it works out and that's wonderful. And, and sometimes it doesn't. We'll get to a few of the highlights specifically about some of the brands that I know all the listeners are are interested in, especially those of you at the Hackers Paradise. But, you know, Michael, one of the things that I've always wanted to ask someone with your experience, uh, here at Golf Unfiltered, we do golf equipment reviews. We've done many of them. They're the most popular types of articles we do on the site. And certainly the folks over at the Hackers Paradise, they're big gearheads. But from a someone who has worked at an original equipment manufacturer or an OEM, would you say that the tides are turning a little bit, or at least the focus is shifting away from doing these just rapid fire equipment reviews among, among bloggers like myself, or even bigger sites like golf digest and and golf magazine, even though they're going to have their hot list all the time. But I get the sense and let me know if you agree that there is this, this shift that perhaps product isn't being sent out as often as it was in the past. Yeah, you're spot on there. There was, and this wasn't that many years ago, but um, it was for a number of years that if you had a website and five, five unique viewers, you could probably write in and have them send you a driver to do a review on. Um, <laughs> Which was my and, life. And, you know, it sounds, <laughs> and it sounds funny, but it really was. And, 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 you know, back then the thought the only is, well, it's just one more driver. It's just one set of irons. Um, because that, that day that that request came in, that's all it was, was that one driver, that one set of iron. And, and so many of these have topped up, um, that, you know, people started taking a look and realized, wow, this one driver a day, had turned into 25 drivers. And this one set of irons now has turned into 40 sets of irons mm. and putters and what have you. So this, this kind of, oh, it's only one, you know, once it gets big enough and, and gets some scale, then it starts making a difference on somebody's budget. And that's when I think a lot of marketing groups um, take a step back and said, you know, who's really providing value. So I think the days of, of clubs being sent out to, to someone like you, to someone like that, those are not over. Those, those are going to continue for the people who provide real value. When mm-hmm. I say provide real value, meaning are giving honest feedback, are not just rip, are, are, are not ripping companies for the sake of ripping companies. 
I don't think most people would, most OEMs, they certainly wouldn't like it. Um, but it's, it's a neutral review, but it's honest. You know, again, probably not going to be their favorite, um, but at least they'll respect that. But, you know, there's some out there that, um, you know, want free stuff and then they don't give an honest review. It's all platitudes and they're just regurgitating the marketing speak that, that the OEMs gave them. That doesn't help them either. So if you're providing something unique, if you're providing real value, um, and, and if you're providing something that enough consumers want to read, then you have a chance to continue to get that. If you don't, then, then you know what? You're not really helping the OEM and you're not really helping the golf space. So people like you, people like hackers, I think Golf WRX generally does a good, a good job. My Golf Spy, you could argue with their test methods. Um, they would probably argue they get back a little, too. <laughs> and I have uh, had many conversations with Tony and Adam and uh, Sam and others over the years about, you know, this and that and the other. But, you know, they are trying to be, as they call data datacratic, you, know, mm. you can argue, but at least they're providing something that's, that's a little bit different than everybody else. So, um, you know, and so the days of everybody getting a free driver and writing is over. But, you know, the handful of really good sites, and I say handful, I don't know what the exact number is off the top of my head, but it's it's not 50, right? It, right. It's five, it's 10. So, um, again, if you bring value to the OEM and, and bring value to the readers, then you've done that. You've provided value at equal to the cost of the driver and iron or whatever. Um, if you don't do that, then, you know, then you're going to have to do something else instead of just writing OEMs for free stuff. And Adam and Tony, if you're listening to this, you know I love you guys, so don't uh, don't at me on Twitter. <laughs> and, and, and I do as well. Hopefully they recognize that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm I very sure much do. respect what they do uh, as well, so – um, you know, it's funny though, Michael, is that, you know, you said a lot of great things there and, and it's, it, it makes sense and it's almost hard sometimes for, for not only bloggers, but the general public to kind of think of golf as that business, you know, there's, there's that, mm -hmm. that leap that they have to go from just playing a game on the course with their friends on the weekend to saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe all this free stuff that's getting sent out becomes a budget item at some point. And you kind of outline that appropriately and in, in, in detail, but you know, it gets to a degree also where these OEMs are kind of talking to one another a little bit now on the social space. And yet we see this shift in social media as well, where everyone has a voice. Anyone can start a free Twitter account or a Facebook account. Um, but let's be honest, most of this is happening on Twitter. But now we're seeing yeah. people, you know... I'll just use the word taking shots at one another, and I don't want to use names or brand names or anything like that, but we're seeing a lot more chatter between brands on Twitter. What are your thoughts on that whole dynamic? Uh, some of it I'm a little surprised by, um, you know, because these are, and again, we won't name names. I think m many of the listeners will be able to figure out pretty quick who we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are not entry-level employees. These are people who speak for the brand literally either as, um, someone higher up in the company or who runs their Twitter sites. Uh, and, you know, th those people are given rights to speak for the brand. They are. Um, a lot of times they are not monitored. The, the things go out before things get seen. So uh, I, I like the authenticity. Um, the question becomes how, how thorough can you be in 280 characters? You know, I, I, I and that's one of the things I question is it, it's very easy to, um, you know, to be a little angry and, and to fire something off. And by all means, we're all human. We all make mistakes. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not saying the people who did those things think they were mistakes, 
But what I look at it is, is, you know, how are you representing the brand? If, if you are proud of those things and, and it speaks well to it, then I think you should continue to do it. Just realize that, that that's a different voice from, you know, a 30 second commercial where it's highly polished. It's reviewed 40 times. It's shot 10 different angles. Um, and, and you know what it is you know, with the twi- with Twitter. And I'm a big Twitter guy. I'm on it every day. It's, it's my favorite social media. Um, there is certainly a way that things can go sideways in a hurry. Um, and what happens then is even if it is between two people, there are hundreds, thousands, tens of other thousands of people, other who can then chime in. And I think that's where it really goes sideways. If it's just company A versus company B and everyone else would stay out of it, I think that would be actually very interesting and, and telling. Um, but when you get all these other opinions in and then, and then those companies have to respond to not only to the other company, but the opinions, that's where it, could get a little weird i'm not sure it has fully um but it's been on the brink a few times recently really interesting thoughts there and i'm glad that we were able to talk to you you know about that topic especially with someone of of your experience because you're right i mean i think it can go either way um i i would prefer it to go in more of a positive light and i think it's just a matter of you know we're kind of Everyone just saw each other at the PGA show, and I'm sure that there were a lot of things that needed to be said and probably should have been said face-to-face and maybe not on Twitter. But, hey, that's like you said, we're, we're humans. We, we say things sometimes in the uh, the heat of emotion, I guess you could say, and, and we'll, we'll see how things play out. But I'm sure that uh, cooler heads will prevail uh, in the end. But, Michael, I wanted to shift back to that PGA show, and I know that we got a lot of questions submitted to uh, us, specifically from the followers over at the Hackers Paradise with the forum. And listeners, if you're listening to this and you're not already a member, be sure to go out to thehackersparadise.com and sign up for the forum, and you can take part in all of these conversations. And you and I have had the chance, Michael, to review a lot of the questions that have come in. Are, are you ready to kind of get into a few of the specifics? I will do my best. All right. So, you know, one of the biggest questions that we actually heard from a lot of people just in general were some of the the bigger surprises that you saw at the PGA show from some of the better known brands. Now, I know a lot of people are talking about the new drivers from basically every brand, specifically Callaway, TaylorMade and the like. But was there one that stood out among the rest in your mind? Of course, knowing that this isn't necessarily an endorsement. It's just something that you saw that really caught your eye. Yeah, I was really, uh, and I, I said, I and one this just kind of harkens back to the last conversation, which kind of is a nice segue to, in the next one. I just, I've known a lot of these guys and, and gals for, for many years. A lot of these people are friends. So when I say these things, I'm trying to be as optimistic. It doesn't necessarily, like, you know, I haven't tested everything and, and all that. Um, but when, you know, it goes to Twitter, it's amazing how inbred this industry is. We know people, and hopefully that came through on some of the videos. So what I'm going to say now, again, is, is my personal has nothing to do with the people involved as the product. I, I was really impressed with Cobra's uh, full lineup this year. Hmm. Uh, I think they've made some really good inroads. Uh, I think their products make sense. I love what they're doing with Arcos. I, I love data. I really think that's going to be the future of fitting um, the way that people play the game, the way people improve, the way people interact with, with instructors. Uh, so I think that's really cool what they're doing. I think uh, the, the mill driver face, Again, we can argue whether or not what, how what the benefit that's providing, um, but from a manufacturing and engineering standpoint, that is really freaking cool mm-hmm. um, and very di- and very very different um, from from what anyone else has done. Um, so I think that it, getting away from the clubs, and I hope you know one of the things I was the thing I was most impressed with was the Foresight Sports 
uh, the GC quad, the putting tracker. Yeah, that, uh, looked, that looks really cool. Set. <laughs> so, yeah, that is, uh, it is truly amazing for what they're doing for the cost. Um, now, it's not cheap, but certainly way cheaper than anything like that has ever been done before. Um, so that's pretty amazing. And I think it, it's, again, it's going to be one more way to better fit putters, which will, you know, I'm sure it'll start on tour, but that will leak down into PGA Tour Superstores and Golf Galaxies and and what have you to let people not just say, hey, I like to look at this mallard, it's red or white or black, and I'm going to buy it. That, that's wonderful. But really getting people into clubs that fit them and fit their swing, including their putter swing. Um, you know, fitting is so important. So I was, again, GC Quad, uh, the, the putting system, which I can't think of the proper name right now, but it's easy to find. I uh, was really impressed with an OEM from the club perspective. And that's not saying that they were the best, but uh, most surprised and, and most pleased with some of the things that Cobra did. Now, along those lines, and I'm doing my best to kind of thread these questions together because they're all over the place, which I, I love it. And there's just so many topics that people want to talk about. But one of the questions we got, Michael, was in regard to how these clubs and products are marketed uh, from the OEM's perspective to the different types of audiences that they're marketing to. For example, the average Joe who might not know a whole lot about golf equipment. And then, of course, we've got folks like you and me who know a lot about it and all the people over at THP. You know, do OEMs shift their marketing uh, in any way to account for those two different audiences? I think they do. And I think it's really more the media that they're media meeting where they're presenting it to. Um, you know, is it is it a commercial on Sunday afternoon of, of, of a, you know, the average, you know, at Torrey Pines um, where it's, you know, hey, here's the two or three most important things, probably a tour player uh, doesn't actually give a lot. What that's trying to do is trying to drive that consumer to go, hey, maybe I'm not an expert, but that was intriguing. And what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to pick up your phone and you're going to look it up online. And so, you know, that's a lot of times trying to drive them, you know, more of the average golfer to do a little research and to find out, Hey, I'm going to buy it. Or, you know, it's really easy to pick up your phone and go, yeah, I do need a new driver. I'm going to buy, uh, you know, the new jailbreak technology from, from Callaway because I just saw a commercial or twist face from TaylorMade, what have you. But when you get into, you know, some of the other things that you can get a little more detailed when, when they're doing something with the hacker's paradise, like an event and they're bringing in six straight golfers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they speak very differently to that group. It's very technical. They know those, those that group is going to take it and put, you know, their version on the forum for everybody to read. And there's going to be lots of questions. So, um, you know, obviously the bigger voice you have, somebody like a Titleist, somebody like a TaylorMade, somebody like a Callaway, uh, even Ping, who can, you know, speak to a lot of different audiences, a lot of different ways, just because their marketing spend is so much. Obviously they do the best. So they can tailor their message uh, individually for, for where, who they're talking to. Others, I think, do a good job, but, you know, don't have the funds to maybe have the reach and the, the separation in those messages. Now, one of the products, or at least one of the features of a product that you mentioned was Twistface. And obviously, we see a lot of different things come from different companies, such as Jailbreak, Hammerhead, other items. And, Michael, I think... We all, well, we all know, especially listeners of this show, know that there are some uh, issues in the golf equipment industry right now where it's becoming more difficult for one brand to do something completely different than the other. And certainly this gets into some of the patent lawsuits that are going on. And, and while I won't go down that road because neither you nor I are lawyers, but do you feel that we're getting to a point now where it's almost 
impossible to not at least borrow ideas from other manufacturers uh, in a, uh, I guess I'll say, professional way. Uh, you know, having sat in those meetings and, you know, looking at reviewed patents for hours and hours and hours, it is difficult. I, I've always called it a minefield. Um, you know, a lot of the patents are, 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 are patenting minutiae, patenting this, this one thing, but, uh, you know, you get 40 of those out there and all of a sudden, you know, it can be difficult to design a club. You know, when I, when I look at the, the, the companies who I am uh, most impressed with technology overall, which is a little different than the, my answer to the cover question, you know, I'm really impressed with what Callaway's doing, I, really top to bottom. Um, both from an innovation and, and a marketing standpoint, but also very included, you know, impressed with PXG. They have a much smaller team, although a very strong and robust team at PXG. Uh, and they are doing some very interesting things in, in pushing some envelopes. And obviously they have, um, you know, less of a cost barrier that some of us have had to deal with in our, our careers when we design clubs, which is very helpful. But, you know, I look at, you know, those two companies and, and, you know, it's a great reminder that, you know, there is room to innovate. There is room to do things differently. Now, having said that, you know, I, I, I've made this joke. I don't know if I've ever made it publicly before, but uh, I'm going to make it now. And it is a joke. I'm saying it's tongue firmly planted in cheek. But, <laughs> you know, has there been any club in the last 10 years that somebody could not have got sued over? Mm, the answer is maybe not. Yeah, yeah I would agree <laughs> if, with that. You know, it, it is possible that every club in the last and, – and, and golf balls are even worse. Now, I, I know more than – not trying to brag anything. I know more about golf balls than, than you know, your average listener, so to speak. Uh, you know, the Dean Snells of the world, the guys are titleists certainly know more than I do, but that is a, that's really a minefield. Clubs are a, a big minefield. Golf balls are, I mean, there's a pattern about everything. Materials, layers, thicknesses, um, dimple patterns, dimple depths, you name it. So it really is a lot going on. I do not blame the club companies. The club company's job is to protect their interests. You know, I really blame the USPTO. You know, there have been a lot of patents. Uh, and, and I guarantee you, if, if people could speak freely to other companies, they would tell you this. There are patents out there that there never had any business being issued. Hmm. But they are issued, and they're out there. So you have a couple options. Do you want to fight it? Do you want to try to get that overturned? Do you want to just infringe on it um, and hope they don't sue? But even if they do, you're like, great, this gives me a reason to fight. Those are business decisions, right? hey, do I want to put this club out there that, that could infringe because I know that, or I, I don't know, but that patent should be invalid. But, you know, if we do get sued, it could be millions of dollars in litigation. That's a business decision. That's not an R&D decision. So right. this is getting kind of deep from a, from a club design perspective, but there is a ton of patents out there. But there is, I still think, a ton of room to innovate. And, and again, I think, you know, looking at what Callaway's done with their drivers, uh, look what PXG's done with their irons, and you know we just mentioned the Cobra with their milled face. There is some really cool stuff still going on out there. You mentioned clubs still having room to innovate, and you know I'm a huge iron fan. I just love you know trying new irons, and and for whatever reason, I've always been drawn to that category of club. But a, an interesting question that we got in the forum was, uh, you know, from your perspective, Michael, is there any category of iron that you think has the most room for improvement or advancement? And I'm assuming that the, the person who asked the question is considering, you know, cavity back game improvement, you know, better player irons and the like. Yeah. And I think you're starting to see this now, but I think better iron, better player irons have the most room to improve because they're so long, you know, they're essentially, well, you're, you know, they're essentially forged blades, um, or some sort of shallow cavity back. 
And, and now you look at the player's market and, you know, there's much more exotic materials coming in. There's much more ability to put dampeners and things that before would be, oh, no, I want something pure. I want something simple. You know, at, I'm seeing it the average player here. At least that's what they, the people thought the average player would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that now, um, you know, there's more and more people willing to try that. So I think um, – and, and the other thing is those players are going to be able to tell the difference even more than, say, at 18 handicaps. So – I think you're going to continue to see more and more in the better player market um, because those would provide halos. You know, it, it's that boy, it's played on tour. It might not always, for me, phrase it, it will never be the biggest selling club, but it provides that halo for the brand. Wow, I just saw Jason Day, you know, win last week in the playoffs. Wow, I just saw my favorite players, you know, play well and he put a new driver in play or put a new set of irons in place. So I, I really think the players' irons are going to continue to develop. Um, but that doesn't mean the others aren't. I just think that's got the most room because for so long, the focus has been how do I make, how do I help a 24 handicap, you know, play like an 18? How do I help a 16 handicap have more fun? That's really been a focus for a lot of the industry. I, I think some of that's not shifting away because that's still going to be an important part because those are the biggest sellers. But you're, you're already starting to see the players' irons really get more exciting, more multi material, um, and be accepted. And, and staying on the topic of irons, and Michael, I've only got a couple more here for you, but one question came in from Christopher asking about blade length of irons. And he's asking sure. whether or not, you know, would that would the length of the blade affect better players in a negative way? And he's asking if, if the answer is no, then why doesn't everyone just play a huge iron head? So blade length, and so blade length is the distance from heel to toe, um, is what's referred to blade length. Uh, blade length can be a big driver of MOI. The longer that blade is, um, typically the higher the MOI is. And for, let's talk about players, better players clubs specifically. While they do want MOI, um, you know, they also are a little finicky about how clubs look. So it's not just about, hey, I want to, I want to play this, you know, four-inch blade length. Because if that was all the case, it'd be every, every, every company has a longer blade length club that, that would be offered with tour pros, right? Right. If you look at the better players compared to the high handicaps, the high handicaps have a longer blade length, period, every one of them, um, because that helps to drive them away. So, you know, you have seen some of those in the past. Um, you know, I, only because I've worked with them several times, Padraig Harrington, you know, played back when uh, he won a couple of British Opens, played an iron that had a much noticeably longer blade length um, than a lot of the better players' irons at the time. You know, mm-hmm. he liked that. He stepped it at a very thin top line, but it was kind of a weird golf club for that reason. You know, very thin top line, but longer blade length. It definitely appeared to appeal to Padraig, and he obviously did very well with it. Um, but, you know, it didn't appeal to a lot of other players. Normally, because I think the proportions, people get used to looking at the same thing. Uh, if you don't have a certain proportion from top line thickness to blade length to, to face height, um, you know, it might not be all that eye-appealing. Uh, the other thing is, you know, just changing blade length for a better player, they're going to hit it on the center of the face anyway. Mm. So that now mm. pushes that center out further. So if a player's consistently used to hitting a ball, you know, an inch and an eighth, seven-eighth inch off the hosel, because that's where they've been swinging the whole time, now they've got to hit an inch and a quarter. So that, that would be a pretty big change for a lot of players just from a setup position to get comfortable with that as well. So there's just a lot of things that a little benefit for a tour player, um, you know, the better place that, you know, the, really the better thing would be what I talked about two minutes ago, you know, take that and, and increase the MOI, but maybe putting punks in heel and toe or using a lighter material in the face 
or, or something like that, so you'll get the same effect of that longer blade length. Now, obviously, a lot of equipment manufacturers want to get as many different demographics in the game as possible in terms of player ability. Um, is there a specific niche of player in your mind that's not currently being served enough by equipment? Um, I, I would think women, women golfers might mm. be the most uh, underserved. Um, there are a few companies that I think who take women's clubs very seriously and, and, and design them as such. Um, something I'm, I'd like to think that I'm quite proud of in my career that was something that was important. Um, but there are, you know, still a number of companies that's a little bit of paint, a different badge, and away we go. Um, so if I had to pick one, I would actually say the women's market. I think the, I think the rest of the golfers, uh, you know, with so many companies now having five and six different sets of irons, um, not to be too flippant, but if you can't fit in one of six sets of irons, <laughs> I think uh, either either you need to pick up t- a tennis racket or you may be being a little too picky. <laughs> I think um, you're right. I think so, you're right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. But, but I think women golfers, um, you know, again, I think they may be underserved. I would agree with that, Michael. Absolutely. And listeners, we're talking to Mr. Michael Verska again. And, uh, you know, Michael, this last question I have for you. Now, you, you attended Purdue, I assume. Spoiler up. And I don't know what this question means. And so what I'm going to ask it, because it's it's very specific to you, obviously. And Icy Shanks at the Hacker's Paradise wants to know, what was your favorite breakfast club costume? <laughs> While attending Purdue, uh, first of all, what is the Breakfast Club? So it, it's uh, it's a thing for people to go get drunk before football games, essentially. Okay, I'm in. Um, <laughs> so so I'm not. I do not drink. Oh, I really? Do not drink alcohol. Oh. So uh, for me, that that was a little out of my uh, out of my out of my you know comfort zone. Out of something that I would do. So mm-hmm. uh, sadly, I, I I think I'm underqualified to to do that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but that's a very Purdue question. Uh, that is very specific, um, questions for that. Unfortunately, they picked probably the only, um, only guy who can't answer it. So. <laughs> well, that's okay. And I'm sure that he'll, he'll understand completely, but Michael, you know, this was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, again, you know, listeners who may have watched the videos at the hackers paradise that you put out, you know, talking about all sorts of different topics and even listening to this show, I'm sure people learn something. I know I learn something every time I listen to you. And so, you know, this will not be the only time that we have you on the show. If you're up for it in the future. Well, uh, make sure you listen to the podcast before you invite me back. Make sure I didn't screw up. And if I didn't screw up and you're happy, I'm 100% in for doing it again. That sounds great. And you and I are going to have to get together during uh, the the warmer months to play some golf since we don't live that far apart from one another. That uh, that will be the easiest and best thing for us to do. So, Perfect. Well, uh, listeners, we're going to be back again next week with another guest. But in the meantime, Michael, thanks again for uh, for joining the show tonight. Thanks. Have a great night.